0: Welcome to the Buck and Strutten podcast, The Chronicles of Two Unlegendary Public Land Hunters. Your home for hunting tactics, strategies and stories. <laughs>
1: Alright, guys, welcome back to the uh, the podcast. This is episode thirty, and today we are joined with Mark Haslam. Mark, how you doing?
2: Doing well. I appreciate you calling. Um, looking forward to it.
1: I'm glad that uh, I'm glad that you were able to get on here and talk about some whitetail stuff with us. It's pretty exciting. It's it gets me pumped up that we're like fourteen. Weeks away from the Missouri opener.
2: <laughs> that's right. It's coming up soon.
1: What? Uh, when does your guys' archery season open up?
2: So, I live in Savannah, Georgia. Um, that's where I'm from, born, born and raised. in Savannah is right on the. It's on the East Coast, but it's also on the Savannah River, which is the state line, of South Carolina. Um, G- the Georgia season opens. I think the archery is like. I'm, pro- I'm going to get this wrong, I think it's like late September, and the rifle is primarily across the state, like the third week, third week in October, but I've hunted really exclusively in South Carolina my, my whole life, grew up in a hunting club. So uh, South Carolina, the lower part of the state from out Columbia South, opens up August 15th, uh, either weapon, archery, rifle, and it's bucks only for the first month. Until September fifteenth. And then at that point you can shoot either sex with, you know, any legal weapon. Um the northern part of South Carolina, I think, is delayed by about two weeks, roughly. But I probably have that wrong too. So we are our season opens um about two months,
1: roughly. Yeah, your guys yeah. said se- <laughs> season's coming quick. How uh so you, you live in Savannah, but you primarily hunt in South Carolina. How far a drive is that?
2: Uh, for me, it's about two hours. So um, I grew up in a, in a hunting club uh, right across the bridge, right across the river. It's about 30 minutes away uh, that my father and some of his friends formed. Uh, we were in that hunting club since I was a little kid all the way um, through college. And then at that point, by the time I was getting out of college, my father purchased a farm about uh, two hours away from us in South Carolina, kind of middle of the state. And um, so it's a good it's close enough to where I can get up there a lot, but it's far enough away that when I go, I'm committing to be gone for a little bit of time. So, right. you know, if it was closer, I would do be, how would be, be doing a lot more hunting, but also have a lot more pressure. i would be checking trail cameras, you know, every other day, going back and forth on a lot of day trips. So I do like it that, that that it's a nice little drive just so I'm not up there all the time.
1: I can, I can understand that. We, uh, we- we live probably too close to a lot of the places that we hunt and we find ourselves out there more times than not. Yeah. That's <laughs> what happens. So uh, what are you, uh, what are you doing now to prepare for August 15th?
2: So right now, um, I guess the way I look at my off season is really the land management side and then the hunting side to it. And they obviously, correlate but um right now we're we got we've gotten gotten a lot of rain the past couple of weeks so we're so we're trying to get our warm season food plots in the ground typically we would start planting those back in May, day um but it's just been so dry it, it, it was it was so wet the first of the year that we couldn't do we couldn't burn much and now it's been so dry so we're trying to get some food plots in the ground soybeans sun hemp and um you know right now it's just kind of go time to get. Get get ready for the season because we try to have our stands, you know, trimmed, uh, cleaned out, you know, check for wasps, all that stuff um, by like mi- by the by like mid August. Okay. Early mid August that way because I'm the only one that really velvet hunts, and I just do it a little bit based on if I think I have a real uh, real chance of of having an encounter. But we pretty much don't start hunting until September fifteenth. Okay. So we tried to have everything done out of the woods for 30, 45 days prior. So right now, it's just running trail cameras. Um, I'll ramp up trail cameras pretty soon. Um, at least where we are, we'll start seeing. Bucks will start really kind of forming out antlers um, in a couple of weeks. And uh, really just prepping for the fall because it's going to be here pretty, pretty quickly.
1: Is there anything... When you're running your trail cameras, I mean, a, a, a lot of guys do it, you know, the same differently. Or is there anything that you do that's specific that you found that works during these summer months?
2: Um, yes and no. So I, I've always run a handful of cameras, but I might only run like four to six. I just um, I go through them pretty quickly and they don't last all that long. Although I've got an order of Exodus cameras coming in soon, but they, I think they were delayed until late July, I just got an email. Um, But what I I found is that past number of years, I I run cameras on video mode almost exclusively. So um, I don't know why I didn't do it before. Maybe the technology wasn't there, but I found that you can learn so much by the behavior of deer, you'll see better angles. Maybe you see a characteristic about a buck from a certain angle that you couldn't from maybe taking three to five quick still shots. Um, You can also see a lot of cool different things out in the woods. I'll run photo mode when I'm running a survey. So starting probably mid-July, I run some survey sites where I'll put a a camera on a corn pile, uh, maybe not on a stand, but close to it, and run that camera for maybe 10 to 14 days just to see what kind of deer have coming into it. Um, Maybe if I have... A dozen, twenty deer coming in any good any good evening. I know that area is holding a lot of does. Um, it's a good way of um, getting a good buck inventory. You're not really like maybe getting intel as far as how to hunt that particular buck, but at least you got an idea about what's coming in. You know, coming in. Um, that's really about it. I try to keep trail cameras on. You know, it sounds obvious, but trails. You know, right. not on not on food plots. Um, or really stands I'm going to hunt try to put them outside bedding areas and trails um, and that's I think helped me pattern deer and kind of learn how, how and when and where they bed
1: so that, that's the reasoning behind that is putting it not putting it you know near your stand or near food sources but to better try to pattern the deer that you're chasing that's correct
2: yeah, I, I mean, you know, that's just what I've had some success with. I just, I found, at least for me personally, when I have cameras on a, on a food source, some something, something planted or like a corn pile, that's why I only run the corn piles like 10 to 14 days, I check them way too much. I mean, I just, because you know you're going to have a bunch of deer on there because it's a food source, and you're gonna, you check them way, you, in, 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 I, I, at least for me, I, I, I just check them every time i'm up there um but you know especially if it's on a stand i'm going to hunt and a lot of my stands that i hunt um are like tighter areas maybe they're close to bedding and i just i saw, I saw it starting back in 2017 where you know you would check check a camera and the deer would kind of disappear for about two two to three days and then all of a sudden they were coming back into it the corn pile the food source whatever it is but as soon as you go in their jacket, they just kind of bug off for a little bit. When, you,
1: when you're when you hanging these trail cameras, you know, uh, there's a lot of different techniques. Do you, do you keep them, you know, between your waist and your knee, waist high, or do you hang them up higher in a tree and
2: cant them? I have always hung them maybe waist high. Maybe waist high? Um, it just depends. I've never tried. I just um, – I tell you – Something that really bums me out is that when you when you go to check a trail camera and you put the card in, but then you trim something and then you forgot to turn it on. Right. So you, you check a camera and you forgot to turn it on, or you get there and the batteries are dead, or something just went wrong, and it, it was been soaking for two to four weeks, whatever reason. I just so that's why I've been reluctant to try that method where you hang it up you know, I don't know, four, six feet up, whatever's and point it down. I just I just don't want that to show up and get very little. Plus I mean, I know people talk about it. I don't know if y'all have done it before, but aren't you you're just cutting your field of vision?
1: That seems to be so one.
2: so much, right? Right.
1: And I have read you know, you can read all these different articles and stuff about how you, bucks are they'll get they'll get real spooky. On some of these trail cameras, whether it's the mm-hmm. the blinking, blinking red light or the sound of the camera going off, and that may be a reason why they don't return.
2: Absolutely, it, it you know, it happens to me a lot where I'll get a, a big giant buck or, or you know, one buck, and I'll get him one time, he'll stop, look at the camera, and it's like, you know, is he is that camera on his on the outer fringe of his core area? he see that camera does not like it but he's still in the area he just goes a different route who knows and then i'll get some bucks that it's weird it's like and you see it more in video mode but i don't know what it is about the camera and it happens during daylight so there's no flash at all but they'll just stop in front of the camera and they'll just like pose or they'll just stare at it and i don't know if they're doing that like every 20 yards in the woods i just don't see it but it's it's almost like sometimes deer know there's something, some kind of like low-admitted sound. I don't know. But it's weird sometimes how they'll just stop and pose. Right. right. When you don't have corn or bait or any kind of mineral site. Um, I've always kind of wondered that. But I've some of the cheaper cameras, um, and I bought some just to save some money, but some of those, those, those flashing methods, they will really spook deer. In the at night,
1: that's and that you know, I'm I'm an I'm a new bow hunter, so getting into this, that's a big chunk of (laughs) might as well take out a small personal loan to get into bow hunting.
2: (laughs) Oh, yeah, I know
1: that I've I've fallen into that of buying cheaper cameras and then thinking, Oh, I got a heck of a deal on this, you know, I'm gonna get photos, and yeah, thing I know that flash or just that sound it spoils it
2: yeah absolutely um uh, i was i i was at the farm this weekend and I, and I pulled some cameras and one of the cheaper cameras i got it takes a good video but i don't know what the flash is like at night it's just it spooks half of the deer, so i had to move it out of a better area and put it somewhere else um but yeah it's it can be tricky sometimes. And that's one of the reasons why I try to pull cameras back during once the season starts. One is that if they're out there, I'm going to check them. I mean, I have to, I got to see what's out there. But also, it's just less pressure. Um, and that's a, a, another reason why I try to put them on trails, places I'm hunting close by, but I'm not hunting on top of just in case, um, in case they get a little spooky about it.
1: Real quick, going back to talking about the video, because you run most of your trail cameras on on the video. What's the what's the coolest thing that you've ever seen with uh, with the video?
2: Um, I've had some pretty cool things. Um, I'll tell you something recent that kind of helped me out. Turkey—I can't help me out turkey season, but I've got a lot of cameras that are like down the swamp, on the edge of a swamp, on like a water trail, or like down in creeks and stuff like that. And I had a buck this year. I don't know if he had shed or not, because I got, I got two different type of videos like this, but there's a bug leaving the swamp, and this camera's, like, right on the edge of high ground. And so he, so he triggers the video as he's leaving, and there's, a, there's some gobbles off. And so he triggers the camera filming him. Meanwhile, in the background, there's a turkey gobbling, his head off. And so, I mean, I can't describe that area as far as paint a picture for you, but based on that, in the, in the time of warning, I knew there was a bird got roosting and got them pretty close by. That's cool. Uh, that was cool. And then I think it was February, I, I got a shed buck that looked to three, maybe three, maybe four. It's kind of hard to tell body size, you know, January, February, when they've lost so much weight coming off the rut. But there was a coyote that um, didn't have a pin, but, like, he was, he was, like, right on a creek that's, like, five, three or five feet wide. And uh, it was, like, the buck was, like, standing its ground. You know it, where that is he wasn't pinned i mean he could have just run right up uphill in the high ground but um the butt kind of bowed up to him and right at the very end there's the the coyote like kind of creeps towards him like six seven feet away and kind of gets back like it's going to lunge at him and then you barely slightly see a second coyote coming and that's all i got so it was i think that camera was set up in like 20 seconds and uh but it'll the trigger would have gone again but i don't know what happened i I was in there um like right after i didn't find any kind of carcass um so that was kind of neat
1: i saw that video i had no idea that that was uh that was your video (laughs) that was your video
2: yeah um that buck has a funky left ear yeah there's something about it where like sometimes you you see a deer and the ears aren't I know they don't always move like symmetrical, like they'll, but like his left ear is always doing something funky. Like it's not in line with the right ear, and it's got it's got the ring around a snout on the both sides of his mouth. It's got a little funky knob to it. So I'm hoping I'll get him again to see if he's alive. But you know, um, but that's about it. I'm, I've been getting some fawns lately. That's cool. camera. It's been it's been pretty cool.
1: I saw that one on the Instagram the uh the doe running through and the falling right behind her that's pretty cool so now talking about habitat management we're down there at the farm are you you're putting in food plots are you doing anything for bedding or is that already kind of been established
2: yeah so bedding is something that's always on my mind i mean i if if I had to choose, I'd rather have bedding than food. Right. Um, I mean, you know, I say that, but you're always gonna have food for the most part. Especially where I am in the southeast. We have such a long growing season that um there's gonna be so much natural food if you're doing some good TSI work. But as far as the bedding thicket, so our properties primarily it's a it's a it's a tree farm. So we're We're growing loblolly pine trees, which is one of the faster-growing pines. We we have some Um, longleaf, and we've got about three four hundred acres of ag fields at least out to a farmer. Got some food plots and some bottomland swamps and creeks. So our thickets, we've always been trying to maintain thickets. And early on, when we got the farm, we were kind of coming out of that mode of being in, in a hunting club for you know pretty much forever. So we weren't in a hunting club. You're not really. Sometimes you get to do some habitat work, some, you know, work on the lease with some, sometimes you don't, you're not able to. So the bedding sites, most of our bedding sites early on were just pine thickets, you know, you, you uh, clear cut, you clear cut an area. And what we were trying to do was not clear cut big sites, try to keep them down to maybe five to 50 acres. And the first, I remember the first clear cuts that we did pine trees, just, it was just, it was like heartbreaking you just look at this huge area that just looks like a wasteland but that was me not having much experience with clear cuts but you know you replant my pine trees and then depending on the soil if it's sandy soil or you know good rich fertile soil you're going to have a, a thicket where deer are going to bed within a year and a half two years it might be cold weather bedding for the first couple of years because it might not be much shade so in, in the heat they won't bed there but cold weather they'll bed out there and then from about year two or three on to year you know, eight or ten you can have this awesome thicket where it's just nasty and you got pine trees growing up and they will outgrow all the thick nasty stuff the briars the grasses all of that uh they'll outgrow it and outcompete. but for those you know, like i said year two to year eight or ten it's just a nasty thicket until you go to thin but you'll get a thin pine trees probably around you know depending on the stand 12 you know year 12 or 15. but About year eight or 10, the pines are going to be up high enough to where you can see right through them. And at that point, it's not bedding anymore. So I've been focusing the past like either easily eight, 10 years of always consistently creating thickets. So we've got some young pine thickets right now that are, it's good bedding. It's awesome to hunt around, but we probably have two or three more years. So we did some clear cutting uh, back in 2019. So that'll be some pine thickets pretty soon, and we've got um, about 200 acres of a clear cut that was just left to go, left to grow, um, just natural, just kind of it, it, it just grew up, and we're trying to figure out what to do with that. So that's the other kind of form of bedding we'll do: is just let it grow up natural.
1: So this this process is not like you just got this, you know, a couple of years ago. This has been going on for quite a few years now.
2: Yeah, we we've we've gone through sixteen or no, fifteen hunting seasons.
1: Fifteen hunting seasons. Yeah, that's cool. Did you before this? Did you have a lot of knowledge or information on habitat management, or is it all you've just learned it yourself?
2: I, well, yeah, I mean it was trial and error, um, learning it ourselves and failing. Yeah, I mean before we got the farm, it was. you know, hunting was made for me was mostly hunting over food sources and and just uh, not much habitat work at all.
1: So within these 15 hunting seasons, can you see a difference?
2: Yes, absolutely. So we, we've increased the carrying capacity. We, we've increased food, we've increased bedding thickets and food sources and we've increased, um, I think I carry capacity of deer that utilize the farm. Um, you know, they're on our property and or, or our neighbors. Um, and i have seen a big difference in the deer, you know, the bucks, um, bigger bucks. And, you know, one thing I've, I think I've learned is that, you know, in my opinion, you, you really can't build bucks up, you know, it's like, I think it you know it probably takes about five thousand acres, like five thousand plus acres, for you to like really have your own deer for the most part, um, to where like you can let bucks walk at three if you wanted to, and you can have a lot more four and five. But you know where we are, there's a lot of hunting pressure, a lot of hunters. Um, you know there's farms, there's highways, and so most of the bucks will see are you know, three and four, and every now and then we'll shoot a five or six year old, but you, you, you don't. Just because you pass on two and three year olds consistently doesn't mean you're also going to just see a bunch of four, five, and sixes. I mean, I, I don't. I, I ask biologists all the time, and no one really has the answer because they haven't studied as far as like what's the average age buck that's alive right now? Where I am in South Carolina, where you are in Missouri, the Southeast, wherever. And I, I think the general consensus is maybe like two, that's maybe three. I mean, I, I just. You know, a lot of people practice, you know, the QDMA, you know, style, but you know, a lot don't. So, um, but you know, I'm fine with that. I mean, I you know, a lot of the bucks we shoot are three or three and four. Um, it's just, you know, I mean, you are looking at a buck that's probably approaching 130 inches at three, maybe it's a one thirty-four, one thirty-five. And if it's four, it could be over one forty. But you know, I I've only measured a handful of our bucks, just so I... I mean, I didn't grow up, I didn't really know how they scored. I've measured a couple just to kind of know so I can eyeball one. But I don't I don't get caught up in that. I just, the way I hunt is just, you know, the store, the experience, put putting a hunt together. And when we have guests come up and hunt, it's, you know, I tell them, you know, shoot what they think is a trophy. But typically what I do is I'll, I'll show them that 144 we have in the farmhouse and tell them that's what we're shooting, knowing that, they'll probably shoot a little bit, you know, smaller, but, um, I just want people to come up and have fun. You know.
1: That's the most important thing about hunting. If it wasn't fun, I don't think we'd do it. Outside of spending a lot of money. That's right.
2: You know, it's, it's just, um, yeah.
1: The, uh, that, that's really cool. I mean, I, I don't personally know a lot about herd management or habitat management at that. And I think that, have it talking to somebody like yourself who who is in it right now uh, that's really cool that's really cool so what do you do in the early season we kind of touched on this a little bit but get into the the nitty-gritty part of what do you do to find success in the early season
2: um so i will always i've been trying to hunt the season um, you know, for many years, you've been going back to, you know, high school and it's, it's, it's my success early season, whether starting this, the season off August 15th, going to like pre-rut, you know, like late September for us, is really about food sources is just about um, trying to figure out where they're feeding, where they're, if, if, is there a destination food source and you know, where they're coming from. So um, it's, that's really when I've had success. I mean, you might be able to class a field every, every so often and, you know, know you have some bucks coming in on an ag field or a, or a food plot, but if you can figure out where they're coming from, and this is one reason why I run trail cameras year round, because, um, you know, like take for instance, like January and February, bucks are coming back in the bachelor groups. Um, so, they're forming back in bachelor groups and they're probably going to stay in that bachelor group until, you know, the rut kicks off, and testosterone kicks starts and they, and they, and they peel the velvet. So if you can pinpoint where they're bedding January, February, they're probably going to be in that area in the summer. Mm-hmm. They, they maybe, you know, maybe not, but really just early season success is for me just, knowing where they bed or the general area. I mean, I don't, I don't claim to know like where, where all the buck beds are, but when I say bedding, it's like a, a pine thicket, you know, I know they're bedding in there. Un- I don't know where exactly. And then just cutting them off, whether it's in the evening, but I think sometimes people get caught up in the, in the, in the, have to hunt, um, in the evenings, but I've had a lot of success in the mornings, early season, you know, August, September, when it's hot, humid, um, they're out moving.
1: That's, we were, Dustin, I think you were, you were talking about, you were reading something and you read it in an old book about how they don't stay bedded all day. And I think that's a big misconception that a lot of people have. Mm-hmm.
0: Yep. That's, uh, I read that in a Greg Miller book, actually getting that, you know, like, and I've watched videos and have read articles about even like Cody Aquisto. he will go and hunt fields and food sources like early season during the mornings when general consensus prime time for that is the evenings. Whenever your thermals start to drop, temperatures cool off for the day, you're transitioning to that night period where they're going to go feed while they go bed during the day. Well, a lot of times they stay around those food sources in the morning. But another thing that I had read in a, uh, it was in a book by Greg Miller talked about as far as the barometric pressure, And whenever that spikes or increases, he always seemed to have patterned deer going to green food sources whenever those barometric pressure had spiked in his area. That was the key time that he would go in and look at those areas or set up adjacent to them, watching deer, wanting to come to them. And that was another thing I was wanting to get at and ask you too, Mark. Like, So around here, we have predominantly oak and hickory stands, which... As soon as the acorns around here start to drop, pretty much it's a safe bet that a lot of your deer herds that you were seeing in fields and like ag or whatever you have planted out there tend to switch over into those timber stands and they start hitting those oak trees instead and going for the acorns. Do you ever have any like situations like that? Cause you being down there in Georgia and South Carolina, like what's your timber stand look like consistent of species? Most of our pine stands are pretty much just
2: clean pine trees, um, but there's a lot of volunteer oaks that maybe we just kind of let grow. And we have a lot of uh, oaks and hardwoods and fruit trees that are on the borders and the hedges of the fields, the ag fields. So they hit those. Um, and, then the, and then the bottoms, the bottom land, a lot of oaks around there. So we did. it's kind of tough because, you know, when the acorns start to drop, you you do see a shift in where the deer feed, but at the same time is that, at least where we are, we've been hunting, you know, pretty good since September fifteenth. So you got the extra pressure, you know, you got the balance, of the pressure on these deer stands on that destination food source that we create through, through ag fields and food plots. But then it's like, how much are they going to the acorns? Versus, is it we're 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 pushing them in, you know, away from the other stands? So a lot of our pine, you know, a lot of people look at pine trees as just like a wasteland, but we try to get on like a, a burn schedule where we burn the pine trees every three three or four years, or we'll go through the rows and kind of light disc to create an early successional food strip. And so get all these native plants, blackberries, briars. Um honeysuckle, all, all these native plants that, that they absolutely love. So, you I mean, you can create a food plot in pine stand. So we have a lot of those in the areas where we don't have oak trees. And so I've had a lot of success hunting deer in pine stands where they'll get up out of their bed and they'll kind of browse through these areas. It's about, you know, knee high to waist high. They feel comfortable. And they're browsing on the way to maybe a destination food source. But maybe they're not getting that food source until after at night. And you're hanging from a a pine tree 20, 30 feet up and they feel comfortable. Um, So I've had some success there, especially in the mornings. If you can, if you know, like a field or somewhere where they're, where they're going to at night, you know, go back like velvet season, a mature buck might, they might come out to a field or food plot a a couple of times in the evening a week, but they might get there until late. Um, So um, if you can try to figure out where they're bedding, sometimes you can catch them going back to bed, like right at first light, but you know, it, I always find it funny. It's like, you know, people, the, you know, people see on social media and they know if, if you drive out in the country, you'll see these ag fields and you'll see the deer will come out like an hour, two hours before dusk, 90 degree weather. And they're just standing in the sun as it's going down eating peanuts or beans or corn or whatever. And it's like people see the hunters see that during the summer, but then when the hunting season rolls around, it's it's the rut, but it's like 75 degrees or 80 degrees. They're like, oh, well, the deer aren't moving right now because it's just too hot. You know, it's just too hot. But it's like the deer are going to do like what you said. They're always moving. I mean, I, I forget how much pounds they have to eat, you know, every year, but they're always moving. And so they're going to move at really any temperature because they have to feed. It's just, it's the hunter maybe not thinking they're going to move um, if it was hot or not. Um, You know, and like, if it's like, if it was during the rut, it's like they're biologically wired that when the, when the does go in estrus that, you know, it's like a, it's like if you have a dog that hasn't been neutered and you get that dog around a female dog that's in heat, you can't stop them, you know? So if it's, you know, 75, 85 degrees, those bucks are still moving. They're not going to stop they're not going to say hey i'm not going to get up and chase those because it's just too hot they're biologically wired to, you know i mean that's how the species has has survived for like i think it's like close to four million years so it's yeah. um i think a lot of it is just hunters sometimes get caught I and mean, i get caught in ways too but if they just get you know they only want to hunt on this moon phase or that moon phase or this pressure that pressure this wind this whatever and so that's that's the only time when they hunt and that's what they know. They haven't hunted the other ways. So I just, having two young kids, I just try to go when I can go. I mean, I don't get to pick and choose weather or anything like that. And we run um, statistics, I forget the website, but you know we have a data log that we, everybody signs in, we sign what stand, what, what the wind was doing and what they saw observation wise and harvest log tube and you input all that information at the end of the season. And it really gives you statistics. As far as how many deer we're seeing on this moon phase, that moon phase, the temperature. Um, and doing that for 10 plus years, there's for at least at least for us, there's no correlation to moon phase, temperature, um, anything else like that.
1: That's really cool. That that's really cool. You said you've been doing that for 10 plus years?
2: Yeah. Yeah. But then at the same time, like you gotta keep in mind that the majority of the hunts might be in cooler weather, so it's like there's only a handful of hunts that are like hot weather. But you know, again, that like that's why I like running trail cameras like down the swamps and like really tight areas where I write, like I check every month or so because you'll see deer. I'll routinely get bucks moving around in 90 degree weather at 12 o'clock in the sun, and they're not spooked. I mean, they're not getting pushed out. They're not flying. They're just kind of they browsing around, and that's what some of these latest um. GPS collar studies have showed that the National Deer uh, Association has put out that you know bucks they they don't they don't move as much as we thought during the rut as far as like ground they cover chasing does right and um, but but they're constantly getting up and moving it might not be a, a far distance you know in a tight thicket maybe
1: if uh. If you were to talk to somebody who, you know, maybe they're a new hunter or they have really no idea what they're looking for when it comes to bedding, how would you explain to them what to look for when trying to locate bedding for whitetails?
2: That's a good question because, you know, I – when I went out, out to Missouri to hunt public land a couple of years ago, that's exactly what I look for is the bedding. Um, try to find that. I would say it's just, just, just some of the thickest nastiest stuff that you don't want to go through. Um, I've heard biologists talk about like what's good fawn cover and good bedding is that if you can take a basketball and throw that basketball as far as you can, in the woods, if you can still see it, it's bad. It's not good cover. Um, so I mean, it needs to have some height, and just it, it, it you know, most predators, as far as studies I've seen, like you know, coyotes, they're they're pretty lazy or they're smart, and they don't you know they don't go through thick areas. So really, just anything, just thick and nasty. It's amazing how tight a window, even mature buck, can slip into, as far as just a very tight, tight lane. Um, but yeah, I just something just thick and nasty um and and really (laughs) uh yeah and then just really you know i try to find them in the off season if i can try to find some off season and um but um you know if you're a new hunter just just trial and error go out take a look you know
1: that uh (laughs) to all the listeners that's probably not what you want to hear is go to the thick and nasty parts of the woods but
0: <laughs> it's that definitely is. it's definitely not what i wanted to hear <laughs> growing up and southwest, yeah grow up <laughs> and hunt southwest missouri your whole life and you're gonna find out real quick well public land no one really gives a shit so everything kind of grows it's like on the side of our public roads it's like nick will call it 60 yards sometimes it's more like 120 But it's just nothing but thick, nasty. Like, Because we had so much logging here like 15, 20 years ago. All that regeneration came up. And I mean, it just, it really, I don't think it was for the benefit fully. Because some of the places that we've gone to were just, they're so thick that it's like a deer couldn't even walk through it. It's just ridiculously thick. But I've noticed when you get past those areas, when you have places like that, Deer will generally tend to bed with their backside to the road around those thickets. As soon as you break away in that cover and then plus two, like you were saying, you know, getting the thickest and nastiest stuff you can. It's like, I found that in a few areas that I've hunted, it's like you get in those Creek bottoms or those ditches and drainages throughout the woods where it's like maybe a rainwater Creek flows through and you get a lot of buck brush and like thorn thicket, whatever. And as long as it's thick in the bottom, And then you get up on these benches and shelves that go up the ridge side and you get higher up in the ridge column. You know, you get in these saplings mixed, intertwined in with these bigger, more mature like hickory and oak trees. And that's generally where I tend to find a lot of the beds at around here is somewhere a little higher up, but it's real thick and nasty in the bottom. So anything coming up that approaches them, they can either hear it because it's making noise coming through the brush or. If it's coming out their backside, you know, it's thick enough, they can slip down through the bottom and it's almost like a little breakaway and cover form that they can get through.
2: Yeah, that that, that that's a great point. You brought clear cuts. I mean, clear cuts have a, have a stigma, like I mentioned a while ago, but in a couple of years, it's going to be great bedding, hunt around it. Um, and, and then if you're around some wetland, um, a swamp, um, some bottom land, especially if it holds water, year-round, try to find some high ground. Usually, um, in every swamp's different, um, but if if you can find some trees, not so much cypress trees, but maybe a an oak or a sweet gum or something growing down there, usually there might be a patch of land around that said tree. Or if it's a cluster of cypress, you might, you're going to have a lot of cypress stumps, and that might accumulate over time. Dirt and sediment, which, which can create a little bit of a high ground. So, we've got a swamp where there's some little island beds. It could be the size of a car hood or this desktop or maybe the size of like a, you know, bedroom, but most of them are very small. And that's where a lot of my cameras are, or catching deer going to and from those beds. And I, past couple of years I've been trying to hunt way too aggressive, trying to get in there. And it's just, um, I've been trying to, I, I, have been backing off and not getting too aggressive on them, but, um, you know, some people think that deer bed in swamps because they, because they have no other choice that maybe there's no other good bedding, but I, I think it's just like the ultimate security system for them. I mean, they're mm-hmm. surrounded by water. I duck hunt down there after the season. I won't bring my lap. I mean, there's just, there's, there's cypress stumps on the water. There's buried limbs. I mean, it's, you're welcome to with waders, extremely slow. And so I don't see many predators in there. Um, and if anything goes in there, you're going to hear it. So it's that's a good area, really, just kind of any, any kind of wetland or any kind of wet areas. Um, you know, deer, tough creatures. I mean, there's just some tough creatures. So, I mean, really, just about anywhere. But you also brought up another point as far as where deer can see. And this is something that I, I've learned kind of pieced together the past number of years is that deer beds so much closer than we think. It's like destination food sources food plot, ag, field, whatever it might be. They'll be close to roads, houses. And for the longest time at the farm, the, the early years, you would jump them in your car, drive, you know, through the farm or truck. You would jump them. And after a while, kind of piece it together where you, you just, you, you rarely jumped them in a golf car or a truck. It's when, you got, it's when you stopped, you got out, took a couple steps, grabbed a piece of gear, and then they pop up 30 yards away. So they're watching the whole time, and then at some point they're calling a audible to go run out. So they're they're all around us, and uh, that's why like when I run cameras, if it's if it's close to bedding areas like down by the swamp, it's I've just learned that if you go down there and hunt too too close, you're just not going to see them. I mean, it's just uh the wind thermals, the wind thermals for us are just tough because you know it's it's um, it's so hot and humid. Um, but you're right, I, I, I dear. Dear, post up and watch exactly where they think we're going to come. You know, so and I, I think I, I think it also kind of plays into the October lull. You know, people talk about the October lull, but I think it's kind of more so. It's, it's what the hunter creates,
1: right? Mm-hmm.
2: After a couple of weeks of being in the woods, you know, you educate them and they adapt.
1: Everybody wants to blame everything else besides themselves. Is yep usually how it goes the uh, so when you're uh goodness I just I lost <laughs> I just thought something on the wind I I completely yeah. lost it with out there at your guys's farm how important is edge
2: you mean like like edge feathering and yep. um, staging areas yes. Um, very, I, I mean, I think it's, yeah, it, it's, uh, early on, we didn't really maintain it well or really have it well. Um, you know, the farmers, a lot of, some, some farmers will plant, you know, tree to tree, and then you just create your own road around it. But for a while there around food plots and planted fields, we would have a road just kind of like a road would create around the field. You just drive around it doing things, whatever. And, and so we shifted from that and just try, try to create a border, I don't know, 10, 20 yards wide from the edge of the woods to the field. Uh, maybe we disc it every, every other year, just let it grow out wild. Um, we have been plant, planting a lot of different things to kind of create a staging area, whether it's like Egyptian weed or some kind of hybrid sorghum or like sun hemp. Um, but I think it makes all the difference in the world, especially if you if you want, you've got to get some height. In your food plot, I mean, I we've got peanuts right now. On the farm, I love hunting peanuts um, early season, but I mean, it's six ten inches from the ground. Um, so we've been we'll plant a lot of beans and with soybeans, some of those like trophy forage beans is kind of a it's it, it's a double edged sword because you got to get they they grow tall and thick so they they become deer resistant once they get like above like knee thigh high. The deer can't browse them down but then they but then they'll get so high to where you'll have does slipping out and you don't even know that, that, that they are in the field or you might not see the buck until it, it lifts its head up so um yeah I mean we try to keep I'd rather I'd rather have a food plot or an area too thick to where like you're not you're not seeing deer that it's almost a problem for the hunter I'd rather have that problem because, you know, in the early years when we were managing the farm, we were trying to have that, like, pristine look, like you see on all those hunting shows, where it's like a manicured golf course all the way to, to the field edge, like, all the way to like, to, like, the timber line. And you can do that where this people hunt on these shows when it's, like, being manicured for deer year-round, but if it's a working farm and, and people are using this, and this hunting pressure, you just can't do that. you got to have that safety and security.
1: The, uh, and that's, that's something I think a lot of people are starting to realize is <laughs> real life hunting for you and me is not the same for some of these TV shows. I mean, it's, it's different, yeah. different, scenarios. So I just, I just remembered in my head what I was going to say just a few minutes ago. Have you ever encountered, you know, and I'm reading some different things and watching videos about how a lot of mature bucks, they will actually sit still, versus getting up and bolting. They'll let you pass. Have you ever encountered that?
2: You mean if you're on the ground and you bump into them, or yeah, or if you're in a tree stand,
1: if you're a, if you're per se walking in for an evening hunt, and you know you where you would bump some does or young bucks, a lot of the mature does or bucks will pull tight and not move and let you pass.
2: On the ground, stay yeah. bedded.
1: Yep. Yeah.
2: Um, that's probably true. I mean, I, I can't say I've ever walked up on a bedded buck and saw it bedded before it got up. So I've, I've walked up on a lot of bucks bedded like during the rut, like on top of a road. I mean, they'll just like places they wouldn't normally bed, but just a thicket maybe they got tired or, or maybe they're with a doe. And you'll be walking, you'll get on, t- on top of the 10, 20 yards, and all of a sudden those pop up and bolt. They were probably watching me, but uh, so probably so. I mean, I think everything I've seen read most people say is that a buck's either going to slip out quietly, you know, to where like early they see you and they'll slip out quietly or they'll wait till the very last minute. Maybe they'll watch you pass by. I, I, so, so I've never spotted a buck on the ground bedded. I've watched the buck get up from its bed i've seen that a couple times but i didn't see it first i just saw it stand up right i have encountered a couple mature bucks two four-year-old bucks on the like when on the ground like i like i was walking in the hunt and one of them one of them just like looked right at me and i was able to get a shot off um it was, it was with some does i i don't know why he didn't bolt but he didn't that's cool yeah, that was that was that was that was pretty neat. Uh, I still had I still had the climber on my back. And uh, he was just staring at me down the fire break. And um, after I shot, there were at least two deer right beside him off the fire break that I couldn't see. So I'm guessing it was November thirteenth, Friday the thirteenth that year. I'm guessing those that those were a day or two that he was with. He was locked on too. He, he was staring right at me. Um, so um, so I don't know. I, I, th- that's um, – I think you're probably right,
1: you yeah. know. It just kind of makes me think, and Dust and I have talked about this, about how <laughs> how many times have we walked through the woods?
2: <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah.
1: Had the, the bucks that we've had on trail cameras or God knows what else, just yeah, 50 yards away and we have no idea.
2: I think it happens a lot. I think it does. I think it happens a lot, especially in the evenings. Like I always tell people, if they're hunting a food source, um, or really other places too, but try your best to slip down. I mean, I, I, you know, because in the evening, you you probably have deer on top of you. You just don't know it. And so, I mean, you can really burn a stand, even by not. Some people think you have to shoot, but I mean, you can just hunt a couple times, and you'll have some deer. You'll have some deer watching you. It, it's just, I mean, so much of. You know, I mean, it's, you see it too, like in like public land, but it's all about like, like, like access where you park, you know, and I, and I, I get so caught up like wind, you know, like where do I want my wind blowing and how far is my wind actually blowing where, you know, you've got stands mapped out on your property, but you know, and you're hunting one stand is good for you, but how far is your scent blowing? Because you got a buddy hunting downwind, but it's a, you know, it's a couple thousand yards away. So it's, uh, it's tricky. You're always going to educate deer. You go out, you know, deer are going to pick up on you some way, somehow.
1: That, And I think that when you start getting into that, the strategy behind it, that's some, <laughs> that's the best part of deer hunting. I mean, that, well, second best, but I'll uh, <laughs> making the, making the plans and, executing them uh, we have a lot of fun doing that man i want to i want to give you an opportunity here real quick to kind of talk about your southeast whitetail and kind of explain what that's about and where they can find you at with that
2: Sure, i'd, I'd love to so i i've had this idea for a couple of years and uh finally launched southeastwhitetail.com it's just a blog essentially a website, and um, I just I felt like, one, I had a lot of content, stuff I did, stuff I wanted to share from, you know, working the farm, hunting, habitat work, stuff like that. My involvement with, you know, NDA, um, 2% for conservation, uh, doing doing mentorship hunts every year. And, um, you know, Instagram has always been kind of like an outlet for me, just to kind of, you know, for what I do, hunting-wise. And so I saw this website. And... Um, so I launched it back in February, and so far it's been, like, you know, goal is to maybe post some venison recipes. I love cooking venison, everything about it. I mean, I love getting back to skin and shed, skinning the deer, processing it, uh, cooking it, everything, you know, every kind of cut, and also really kind of trying to focus on the southeast, which is, you know, pretty pretty broad region, but just kind of felt that so much of the hunting media, like, like the mainstream media, is so geared towards – big giant bucks. So where are you going to find those? Probably, probably the Midwest. Um, and, you know, so much of that doesn't translate to like the common hunter. People like you and me that, I mean, you know, if I have a, I might have a 125 inch buck that, that comes out. Maybe I rattled it in. And I, I'm if it gets me excited, I'm going to take the shot. I mean, so I, I don't get caught up in you know, inches, stuff like that. So I just kind of wanted to, have a place to, you know, spread some information, stuff I'm doing in the Southeast and trying to get some attention. Um, I, I put, published an article about a month ago about sun hemp. This food plot, it really only grows, it's really all gonna grow as far as the seed in the, in the South, as far as the latitude. But, um, you know, you, you can't really find a whole lot of information about sun hemp, but it's an excellent source of protein. It's excellent for deer cover. It'll mean, it'll grow three to eight feet tall. Um, and they'll eat all the leaves and the stalks. So, um, and every year I, I'm, I'm doing a, a, mentor hunt with NDA. So, um, it's a way for kind of people learn about, um, you know, habitat work, uh, stuff in the Southeast. So, um, you can find me on Instagram at Mark Haslam and, um, I think the, I think the IG is Southeast dot whitetail. Cause there was like a dozen Southeast whitetails. <laughs> And, you know, handles, and they all, like, hadn't published anything in, like, 10 years. So, I had to do southeast.whitetail. But the website is southeastwhitetail.com. And um, really no plans for It's just kind of an outlet to share things, kind of what I'm doing.
1: That's kind of, uh, I mean, if you look at the nitty-gritty stuff of what we're trying to do, it it's an outlet, you know. With Absolutely. Talk, talking to guys like yourself who have a love for whitetails and conservation, habitat management, mentorship, I think that's awesome. And we, we need that more now than ever in the, the hunting community.
2: Yeah. I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, I just, I, I think there's, you've got the content that's focused on like research data, like the biological side, and then you got the, the, the focus that's based on, um, you know, how, how to kill a 200 inch buck on November 1st because of the moon phase, stuff like that. And it just, um, the average hunter, I think it just um, might not relate to. Plus, you know, you got to hunt your hunt. I mean, if someone wants to go shoot whatever's legal, I mean, it's just, you know, if it's legal, go do it. You know, don't get caught up in what your neighbor's doing. And if you can work with your neighbor, great. But, you know, if you have a difference of opinion, I mean, I, you know, so. Um, you
0: I think gotta- that I think like what you're saying there, that's what we need to reflect on and start getting the idea into new bow hunters heads is like go hunt your hunt because it's like the articles, like you're saying, it's like how to kill a 200 inch plus white tail based on this moon phase on November 1st. Right. When it's like for most of us, 97, 98% of us, that's highly unrealistic for us. It's like, I think it's best for the new hunter. You know, it's like everyone's to shame the guy that shoots a spike or a fork horn. But if you're a guy that, yeah. If it's your first or second year bow hunting and you're just learning, it's like if you can pattern a spike or a fork horn, it's about the steps and the process. It's about the journey to get there to the 150, the 160s, 170-inch whitetails they'll pursue later down the road. It's like if you can go out a new guy and do that, it's like hats off to you already. It's like all whitetails are pretty smart.
2: Absolutely. I mean you're spot on because the article should be – um that a new bow hunter should just go out and kill something legal yep. the first thing that's legal you got to get um i mean the articles really speak how 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 hard it is not how mm-hmm. awesome it is but how no one talks about how difficult i've only been bow hunting for i think six years now it's humbling It just um you know i it was when after i shot that buck on the ground that, that, that was mentioned. i just at that point i want to do something different and get a bow but no one talks about like how hard it is, and just how difficult. I mean, everybody can be in the backyard and just dropping the bulls out 30, 40 yards. But, yep. um you know, I see it a lot with, you know, you've got the hardcore hunters, like probably all of us guys listening, and then you have a lot of guys and girls listening. They, they have a lot of people that kind of casually hunt. There's nothing wrong with that. Right. Everyone can't be, you know, some people just want to go gut kill a deer and have some meat. That's fine. But, Sometimes I don't think people realize that, you know, you, if, if you're not practicing your bow or your rifle, um, you're going to go out and if you're waiting for a buck, there's a very good chance you're going to make a mistake. Mm-hmm. Or you're just going to get buck fever, but just to go and shoot something legal, shoot a doe. I mean, I just, um, and you know, it, it, it you, you got to get this reps in on the live targets and there's nothing. Your takes some more. I I don't, I never comment anything negative on social media, but nothing gets me more when someone posts like a spike or like a little basket rack eight or, and the caption is this, it's not biggest, or he's not the biggest one, or he's not the buck I'm after. Basically, like you're shaming the buck, you're shaming the deal. Right. You know, it's like, you know, you chose to take his life. You know, just, I mean, why you made the decision, don't, don't don't shame the deer as if as if as if as if social media has to be like a bragging contest you know
0: right it's almost as if when people say those keywords right there you know he's not the biggest he's not my biggest i could avoid it's almost like you're apologizing for taking said deer but when we all realize in the moment if your knees are knocking and your heart's pumping and your bones are rattling like that is the deer that you need to take right there in that moment, because if it makes you happy and that's what you're out there to do, no one can take that away from you.
1: No, I, I am eating this up right now. This is, <laughs> this is some good stuff. <laughs> so uh, Mark, I'm going to kind of get to ending this. Now, do you have any, any future plans for this season? Are you just going to hunt the farm Are You traveling out of state at all?
2: No plans to go out of state. If I go out of state again, it's going to be Missouri. Um, that's where it's going to go. I mean, I think uh, – although maybe I should say another state to kind of not blow the state up. But, you know, I like Missouri. Um, it just, you know, for me coming from Savannah, it's uh, maybe like 14 hours or so. So it's – for me to go, it's, it's about seven days. You yeah. know, you got – if you're going to do it right, you want to have five full four or five days of hunting. So if I do that, I'll if I have some success early on in August, early season velvet, and get a buck under my belt, then I'll probably go out there. Um, but I just um, that's the plan. Hopefully, have uh, a buck or two lined up to try to hunt, and then um, um, we're going to try to do another mentor hunt late September uh, with NDA. And if anyone's interested. In, collaborating and doing something with me i was looking to you know do some have, have some new eyes and um maybe some more help with that and um that's the plan you know we we try to get after does from september 15th to the first of october okay. before the rut starts I try to really get after those because if it's i mean we're we're our goal is to shoot like close to 60 does a year so i mean that's based on our herd and The DNR actually gives us tags for more than that, but um, to get that number, you've got to start early. That way you can kind of scale back during the rut, maybe let some does pass, try to buck hunt, and then try to get after some does after the rut. But it's, you know, trying to keep it, I mean, it's nearly impossible to keep that balance of one to one buck to doe ratio, Um, but the south is just, it's most of it's pretty dense as far as deer density. And so if um you know, it takes most of the season to try to take out does.
1: With with that, I could say I could sit here and talk all day about this stuff. This is this is Yeah, I mean I am a
2: whitetail junkie. If you couldn't (laughs) tell, I
1: just
2: (laughs) somehow I could make money off off being involved in whitetails, I would do it. But I'm forced to do real estate.
1: (laughs) Do you do you see a difference? with the rut, with managing your, your dough population to try to keep that as close to one to one as you can?
2: Yes. Um, yeah. Um, I t- yeah. And, 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 I'll, I'll try to keep this concise cause I know we're running on time here. I saw something and it took me a couple of years after the fact to really notice it, but you know, it took, it took a number of years to have, um, some good quality bucks in the property, you know, for our region for South Carolina, for the Southeast. And all of a sudden, you know, for a number of years, we were harvesting nice bucks. And so, you know, we were used to seeing them on trail camera. We were used to shooting them. Our guest friends, clients, they were, you know, that's what they expected to see. So all of a sudden, we weren't ki- we weren't killing enough as many does. And so we had a couple of years where we went, our doe harvest just plummeted. I mean, they just dropped low. We weren't shooting them enough. People were were waiting on these bucks. And then, so really the first thing we noticed was our farmer was just on us because you know these guys like this is the i mean you know what farmers lives are but um the deer was wipe the crops off i mean like even like cotton cotton you know deer will eat cotton later on when it gets you know the, the way the cotton seed but when they're young and they're coming out of the ground they'll just snip the plant off that 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 real low plant at that point it's not going to grow back so the farmer was complaining to us about these deer. that are just wiping out the crops, you know, early on before it could get established. We saw that. And then we saw just, just an increase in our doe population. Tons of does. And the does were a little bit underweight. So we were used to, and that kind of goes back. If you can, if, if you have some land that you manage to lease or, or if you own it, or really it was public land. I don't, I don't know Missouri's doing it, but the state should really be recording those, those deer weights. But our average doe weight was going down. It was like 110 to like 130. On average, you know, like the young ones were maybe like under 100, but the, the big mature ones were killing like 120, 130, 140. Well, the weights were going down. So we had we had more does in the landscape. And then as far as the bucks, do we have less bucks? I don't know. But, but we we were seeing we started to see and shoot less bucks. So we went through some years. We just weren't seeing them. I had some theories that maybe we, we had too many does it just does all, all over the place. And so um that decreased our buck harvest so we started to kind of really just try to get on them early and manage them better and we have been seeing and harvesting more bucks the past number of years i mean there, there's a direct correlation and then you get all like the whole science of it that when you have too many does the buck can't breed them all so they're going to go they're going the, the does that don't get bred that first cycle they're going to go in that second third cycle which means fawns are dropped at a larger windows, you can, you can increase fawn, fawn predation. And then your what Then your excuse me, easy for me to say, your rut is over a wider window. Right. You know, you, you really, ideally, I think most biologists say is you want that butt, excuse me, that rut in a very tight window. It's better hunting and it's better for the herd too. And
1: that, and that directly correlates with rut activity.
2: Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you know, I haven't come across any kind of research, but like what a buck, how it affects the buck's health. You know, let's say a region, I don't know, like the Midwest or somewhere where there's a very tight rut. And it's a couple of weeks, whatever it is. They're gonna cut weight. They're gonna be, be be run down. But if it's, a, if it's in an area, the rut's in an area where there's a high deer density and does are hitting a second or third heat cycle before they're bred, those bucks are just going. I mean, they should be going nonstop. So they're, they're not eating. They're they're cutting weight twenty five plus percent. How does that affect the buck? You know,
0: not for the does part. that. mean,
2: does he survive the winter? I mean, you know, who knows that kind of stuff. But um, the biggest thing we had is just too many does. And the telltale sign for me is just I would get the bucks on camera, but we weren't seeing them on the stand mature bucks, big bucks. Right. And so they were probably hanging around, you know, and it's just not, cause they didn't, they didn't need to move around more because there's, you know, too yeah. many does. There's just does
1: everywhere. And that's, that's kind of what my theory, the fact that if you have too many does, those bucks don't need to move. Right. I mean, they're going to move, but it might not be as much as what you think they're going to stay in their core areas. Very interesting stuff. <laughs> Dustin, do you have anything, any other questions for Mark?
0: The one last thing that I thought of while we were all still talking about this that's fresh on my mind. It's like, so do you ever notice down in your area? So like, let's say, so as far as like with turkeys go, you have subordinates and then you have your old mature dominant gobblers while your hens will go to those dominant gobblers. Do you ever notice down around in your area, like let's say you have older mature bucks, like in research and studies have shown with collared deer, it's that some of these older bucks, they don't move near as far as to what the our conception is that, oh, it's the rut. They're going to move all over the place. They're going to be two counties over before it's said and done. Do you ever notice that a large quantity of does will try And hang around a mature, dominant buck's core area during the rut, per se, to get to ensure that they have the best genes for their offspring as possible. Do you ever notice that?
2: I can't say I have. I can't. I really can't say I have because most of the bedding. I I try to hunt more um, around where I think there's doe bedding during the rut. Mm -hmm um and where this buck bedding usually i don't want to go in there too tight i can't say I, I i there's been nothing i've noticed but you know there's some killer information out there the mississippi state university they've got a podcast and a good some good research but they you know they've got pin, pin, pen raised deer and they you know the kind of research they've done where they've tested out and they've proven that does choose larger antlers right so they they i mean they they did that cool study where they where they sawed off antlers and they screwed them into one, two, three, and four, or five year old bucks, and the doe would choose one of the larger antlers. So it's that's kind of shifted a lot. Where it's we now know that most does are looking at the like you said, like the 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 better specimen, like the like the dominant buck. I don't, I, I have no idea. I mean, like, what if you shot the dominant buck on your property opening day? Does that throw the does off? It probably shouldn't, but apparently that's what it's doing for turkeys, um, right? And so, I mean, that's why, like, so interesting, like South Carolina has mimicked a lot of what Missouri's done as far as, I think, shortening the turkey season and pushing it back. We used to start in our area, like, like before March 12th or 14th, and now they pushed it back to the very end of, end of March uh, to, to try to have the turkeys breed first. Because mm-hmm. so, they didn't, like, if you shoot the dominant tom early that the hen had chosen, he's now dead that hen might take a little bit for her to figure out who she's going to breed with next. So I, right. As far as bucks, I, I wish I knew, (laughs) I wish I knew I, you know, I tell you as far as bucks and where they hang out, what I've noticed is just kind of keep it short is that I prefer to hunt early season, August to like pre-rot. Because it, it, if you know where the bucks generally bed, you probably should know where they're feeding, and you can cut them off. One way, coming or going, morning or afternoon. But during the rut, it's just like they're wide open. I mean, if I'm hunting it, in our area, second, third week of October through the second week of November, you know, you can you can hunt smart and, and hunt a good area, but it's just like you got to have so much luck of just seeing a buck just running by, and it, it's just. For me, hunting the dead set on the rut, I, just, I do it, but um, I don't prefer it because you just don't know what they're going to do. I mean, they're just mm-hmm. running all over the place.
0: Yeah, there's so many variables and there's so many factors that go into it. It's like I've seen before, it's like, you know, you can be sitting in one spot and just be on top of a huge travel corridor, rut funnel, whatever you want to call it. Say 300 yards down the way, it's like you got your binos out, your glass, and hell, here comes a buck you might have the right wind and everything, but all of a sudden up the ridge, here pops out a doe. You can't beat yeah. the real thing. As soon as he gets something to go with, he, yeah. he's gone.
2: Yeah, I, I've had some success um, over the years with using a doe decoy. I a, a shot my spot using a decoy last year, but this, I love bow hunting, but I don't see how guys bow hunt during the rut. I just, I, I do it some, but if I'm, hunt, if I'm hunting somewhere where I can see further than I can shoot with a bow, mm-hmm. it drives me crazy. Yeah. Because like during the rut you know, I'll see some mature bucks, but I might only see a couple of mature bucks any given season, actually having a counter. So I usually bow hunt tight areas. Cause I mean if I'm if I can see something like five hundred plus yards, I'm taking my rifle. Right. Because I mean if I'm seeing a buck trot through at a nice little pace, I'm gonna throw up and shoot. I'm not gonna just tell them. I mean I just those guys that bow only hunt, I, I respect the heck out of them. I mean, that's that takes a lot of middle strength that I don't have.
0: Yeah, Nick's a bow hunter through and through. And he's talked to me multiple times saying, you know, he's like, I don't know if I'm going to pick up my rifle this year because I just I just like I love to bow hunt so much. I'm just over here like I'm a bow hunter through and through. But it's like you give me a week long window to shoot one of 200 yards. I'm going to cheat a little bit. And even the playing field out just a little bit. <laughs> 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 yeah.
1: I love bow hunting, man. That's, I just, oh, uh, we, Dust and I, we call this time period right now the, the major suck time. <laughs> it came off turkey season, and now uh, just probably pretty close to the same weather you guys have. It's hot and humid. Yeah. Oh, and yeah. It's, oh, uh, it sucks. So, really the only thing to do now is really hone in on archery. And Yep. Start running some trail cameras before too long, but I just, I dream of those crisp fall mornings.
2: Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's what it's made of. So, yeah, um, I can't wait. i out in the woods. Um, y'all should come down sometime. If y'all want to go somewhere different? Hit me up. I th- to-
1: definitely would be For very sure. interested in that. We are, uh, we're planning to go to Kentucky at some point in time in October. And then late season, we're going to bounce up to Wisconsin. That's up there. For this year. And then who knows where turkey season will take us and so on and so forth. But definitely would love to make it down there to South Carolina. You
2: should. It's fun. It's um, it's a great state to hunt. Gosh, uh, you come for turkey season. We've had – we've done some – doing some good work with the population, trying to get some back around the property.
1: That's cool. And that, and that same goes for you, man. If you ever, if you do make it out to Missouri and you don't want to hunt around Peck Ranch, you just, you know, a message. Well,
2: you got to edit that out. I don't give up, you only give, <laughs> give up my secrets. No, I, I don't. I want to I just need your, I just need your own X coordinates, coordinates. If you just send me <laughs> the places to hunt, that's all I need. Um, Go and then try to figure it out. Yeah, I, I, I would. I'm gonna to try to hit up there. I'm, I'm to, if I go back, I'm gonna say in the Ozark region. I, I, you know, northern Missouri was just awesome. But what yeah. I've realized that I was e scouting just like every everybody else, right? And I'm in a, and I'm and I'm walking in hunting everywhere, and it's just um, uh, some very cool ag country. But um, I don't know. I feel like I got probably got a lot of pressure up there
1: yeah you definitely do see that i mean in relation to our state you you get down here into the southwest portion i mean you're you're thick in the ozark mountains
2: yeah if you can get on like a like a forum for a state and people are really bashing an area and they're from that state that's usually a good place to hunt Yeah, because <laughs> they're just trying to like shoot people away you really gotta like look at that first psychology that you can find online um but yeah, I, 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 Missouri is a killer place. Killer, killer place to go. So, well, um, but yeah, I appreciate y'all having me on. Um, thank
1: you. Thank you so much for, for coming on, man. I've, I've really enjoyed this, this conversation.
2: I, I did too. I appreciate it. Yeah. And so, anybody wants to look me up uh, at Mark Haslam or uh, southeastwhitetail.com. And um, I appreciate the time. This has been fun.
1: It's been real fun. Oh, guys yeah. out there, for the guys and gals listening out there, go check this man out and show him some love. As always, y'all, thank you for uh, for listening. If you uh, if you wouldn't mind, please leave a uh, a rating and a review. That would really help us out. And our new website is up and running. So go check that out at com. Stay safe out there, folks, and hunt relentlessly.